right. Good morning, Journey Church. Well, today we are finishing up our Start Over series. If that series has blessed you in any way, if any part of it has been a blessing to you, would you just let us know it by uh, the clap of your hands this morning? So, this has been a, uh, it's been a fun series to kick the year off with and a fun series to share with you guys because the truth is this, that regardless of where you are in life, you're at a great place to start. So you may have walked in this morning, you may have thought, man, I'm at the lowest point that I've ever been in my life. That is a great place to start over. You may have walked in thinking, man, I'm at the highest point that I've ever been in my life. Life is as good as it has ever been. It's a great place for you to begin your relationship with God brand new. Maybe you came in somewhere in the middle and you were like, I'm just trying to get by, right? I'm just trying to survive. I'm trying to make it through the weekend and to make it to Monday. And when I get to Monday, I'm just trying to survive and make it to the weekend. I'm just kind of existing. That also is an amazing place for you to start over. So wherever you are, you're at a great place this morning to begin your relationship with God all over again. And we have the honor and the privilege of serving a God who allows us to start over, not just once, twice, but literally to continue to start over until we are with him in eternity. So today, as we wrap up this series on Start Over, I would encourage you to use it as a time to begin brand new, to start fresh all over again. And we're wrapping up the series this morning by looking at the legacy that we leave behind. I have a brick here, and this was given to me as a Christmas present. And... uh <laughs> It wasn't because I was bad, but it was it was a brick from my granddad's house. And a couple of years ago, my dad and his sister sold uh, the land, the property that my granddad's house was on, and somebody was developing it. So they were tearing down uh, the house was, that was there. And my wife, or my, excuse me, my aunt stopped by one day and she grabbed a brick and she gave them to us for Christmas as a reminder of the legacy that my grandfather had left behind. And my brothers and I, we spent every summer at my grandparents' house. And so we'd get up early as our parents were going to work, and one of them would drop us off at their house. And it was at my granddad's house that I learned to to plow a field. Like you guys never would have guessed and you how to plow a field, would you? So I learned how to plow a field. I learned how to plant corn. I learned how to pick corn, shuck corn, plant peas, grow tomatoes. I learned the painstaking uh, ability that you have to have in your fingers to shell peas. I learned that. I learned how to use a skill saw, a drill press. I learned how to shoot a BB gun. It was all that stuff that I learned at my granddad's house. And when I look at this brick, it sits in my office every day. And at least once a day, I glance over at it. And it reminds me, not just of the things that I learned there, but of the man that he was. And that's his legacy. I'm reminded on a daily basis of the legacy of my grandfather. And my grandfather's legacy was was a lot like, I believe, how I am. We're a lot alike. My granddad was, he was a funny guy, and so he was constantly trying to tell jokes or pull a trick on someone. He was extremely driven. He was always working, but somehow at the same time, he was also really laid back. So it took a lot to get my granddad angry. But once you got him there, right, y'all know people like this? I mean, it takes a lot to get him there, but when you got him there, you just backed out of the way, right? It was like, all right, you do what you got to do. We're going to be over here in the other room. You just go ahead and get it, go ahead and get it all out. And it happened one day with us at a bank. And so for some reason, he thought it was a great idea to take three boys to a bank. And so we're there and I don't, I have no idea what he was doing at the bank, but it required us to sit in an office. And at some point after about five minutes, I instigate trouble. And so I either pinch one of my brothers or I punch him in the arm or we had this fun game where we hit each other in the kidney. 
and uh, don't do it. And maybe that was what happened, but all of a sudden we're fighting in the bank. And my granddad comes over and he's like, when we get home, every one of you is getting a spanking. And my oldest brother is sitting there like, I hadn't done anything, right? I'm just kind of here. And sure enough, this is something brand new. This is the only time my granddad ever spanked anybody that I know of in my family. We get home, he marches us to a pecan tree. There's some kind of procession going on. It was special to him, I guess. We get to the pecan tree, and he, he's going to go in order of age. And I've told you guys multiple times, I'm blessed to be the youngest, and those are the best people in the family anyway. So my oldest brother gets up there, and man, all of my granddad's anger comes out on my oldest brother. Like, wham! And my youngest, my, my middle brother gets up there, and he hits him. And by that time, my granddad is an old man. By that time, he's worn out. And so I walk up to the tree and he goes, go and get out of here. <laughs> and then my brothers got mad, right? But that was it. That was my granddad. He was a fun guy. He was a funny guy to be around. Even when he was angry, something funny was going to happen. And when I think of him, I think of his legacy. Those are the things I think of. He was, he was a driven guy. He was laid back. He was funny. He had an amazing sense of humor. Look, he loved his wife. Man, he loved her more than anything in the world. He loved her. Those are the things I think of. Look, you also have a legacy right now. You are known for something. Look, you are building your legacy one decision and one moment at a time. You're building it. You're building your legacy right now by everything that you do. My granddad never sat down and said, Daniel, here's the way that I want you to remember me when I'm gone. But he lived his life in front of me. And because he lived his life in front of me, he naturally had a legacy. Listen, you have a legacy. You are living your life in front of people, and every day, every moment that goes by, you are building that legacy. And sometimes you're building it well, but let's be honest, sometimes we're building it poorly, but we are always, always building it. There is never a moment that we're not building it. The Bible tells us this, it says, just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes the judgment. At some point, this life will be over and we will simply be remembered by those that we've had an impact on. And you jot it down. We just covered it. You're building your legacy one moment, one decision at a time. And so let me pose this question to you. At this moment in life, right now, as you sit in this room, probably surrounded by some people that know you, what is your legacy? What is it that people think of when they think of you? At this point in life, you're known as what? Are you known as a funny person? Maybe you're known as someone who is driven. Maybe you're known as someone who is a workaholic. Maybe you're known as a loving husband or a loving wife or a great parent. Or maybe you're known vice versa of all of those things. But you're known as something. And if that is not what you want to be known as, what are you going to do to change it? So if what you're known as is not what you want to be known as, what decisions are you willing to make today that will change the legacy that you're leaving behind? The the good message is this, and the fun part of this message is this, is that we still have time to change what is known and what is written about us. But some of us have never stopped to think about the legacy that we're leaving. The Bible teaches us this in Proverbs. It says, where there is no vision... The people cast off restraint. In the King James Version, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. The idea is this, is that there is no focus or intention to their life. There's no vision. They have nothing to aim at. There is no goal. And so they're going around and they're doing everything. And they're slowly dying because they are accomplishing nothing. I would say this, is that God has a vision for your life. Look at me. I want you to hear this. You don't hear anything else. Listen to this today. God has a vision 
for your life. There is a plan and a purpose and a reason that He created you, and you will be most fulfilled and satisfied in life when you are accomplishing what you were created to do. That is where you will find the most satisfaction, the most purpose, and the most meaning. And listen, don't miss this. You will never find that apart from the person of Jesus. You will never find it anywhere else that it always has to start with Him. But look, I want you to sit down. I want you to think about this. When you go home, when you go to lunch, when you're watching the Super Bowl next weekend, I want you to be thinking about, man, what is the vision that God has for my life? What is His dream for me? What has He gifted me to do? And then that's the focus. But that's the focus of our life. And then we're not casting off restraint and we're not running in a hundred different directions, but we're focused and we're able to live a life that has an impact and that makes a difference. Again, where there is no vision, the people, they, they perish. This is a Hebrew word for vision. And when you're, you're speaking Hebrew, maybe you've had the honor of doing that before. You, you use your throat and they, they make more, more sounds than we do. And in fact, oftentimes it sounds as almost as if you're, <clears throat> You're hawking something up. I don't know any other way to say it, so I apologize. But you're, uh, right? You're trying, uh, right? don't do that, because then we're going to wonder what, you, what you're doing, what you're getting up, and then, so, you say this word, kazon. We're going to say it together. You ready? It's called kazon. That, that's how you say it. You guys are going to say it with me on the count of three. We're going to say it together. If there is somebody behind you that's about to say this, you might want to just, just put your hand over your head, right? All right, so on three, we're going to say it together. You ready? One, two, three. Kazon. Right, come on, y'all can do it better than that, right? One, two, three, kazon. There it is, right there. Here's what it means. It means this. It means a dream, a revelation, or a vision. Did you get that? Where there is no dream, where there is no revelation. Like I'm learning from God. He's revealing to me what He has created me to do. It's a vision for my life where that kazon does not exist. We'll cast off restraint, and we're just living for nothing. And so there is a vision for your life. There's a reason that God chose to create you, and you find your purpose and your meaning and your fulfillment in chasing that vision. Listen, many of us, many of us are doing things, and we would come in this room today, and you would say, if someone asked you, you would agree, you would say, now I'm just burnt out. I'm just tired. I'm tired. I don't know if I want to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm just at a point in life where I'm burnt out and I don't want to keep going and I'm just working too hard. I would say this. Listen, don't get mad. Don't start throwing bricks at me. I would say that we probably don't work as hard as generations that came before us. Right? We have technology and we have things that's doing work, work for us. I watch. I watched my granddad plow a field, right? I was out there. I saw the stuff that he had to do to get food. I saw the job that he had to do to bring home a check that would take care of his family. And very few things that we do today compares to that. So I would say this about burnout. Now, maybe unique in it, but I don't think we get burnt out because we work too hard. I believe we get burnt out because we work too hard on the wrong things. You get burnt out when you're working at something with no purpose and with no meaning. And as long as you know why you're doing what you're doing, listen, you will pour your life into it and you will work hard and you will love every minute of it, right? There will be times you go to work and it's hard and it's difficult, but you will know that you are doing what you were created to do. Listen, we don't get burnt out just because we're working hard, but because we're working on the wrong thing. So God's vision is what we want to be working on. And here's a glimpse at the vision that he has for your life. Paul is writing to, to Timothy and he says this, he says, True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Godliness with contentment 
is great wealth. Look, it isn't about accruing a bunch of things. It isn't about having the nicest house or the nicest car. It isn't about having the top position wherever you work. He's saying, look, that the best thing that you can do is pursue godliness and contentment. And so what I want to walk through today are four things, and we'll walk through them quickly. This is not an exhaustive list, but I want to share with you four ways that you can build a legacy of godliness in your life. And the first one is this, is to live a life of prayer. To live a life of prayer. Prayer is a, it's a discipline. And so there's a little bit of discipline that goes along with praying. And I found something to be true in my own life. And I believe you would find it to be true in yours also. That when the prayer life is lacking, the pride is out of control. So when there is a lack of prayer in my life, there is always an abundance of pride. If I find myself not spending time in prayer, it's me saying to my family, to my God, to the people that I work with, that I don't necessarily need to go to God and get His wisdom on this, that I have it figured out already, that I can do this on my own. And so anytime you look at your life and you're not spending an amount of time in prayer, I would say that it's because pride has found its way into your heart and that anytime we crucify pride, we're reminded of our need for Jesus and we begin to spend more time in prayer. So if you're not spending time in prayer, then a step for you today might simply be that you begin to set aside five or ten minutes every day and you begin to pray and and have some time with God. Here's what prayer does. Prayer prepares you to face life's difficult battles. Look, I wish that that as a pastor, that and I know Mike wishes the same thing too, I wish we could stand up on the platform and, and we could tell you that, hey, if you would just turn your life completely over to Jesus, just surrender your life to Him, that everything would be good from that that point on, right? The wind will always blow at your back. Things will always go at work the way that you want them to go. Your bank account will never get low. Your children will behave and do exactly what they're supposed to do. But you know that's not true, right? We live in a fallen world, and whether you're following Jesus or whether you're living completely apart from Him, life is going to be difficult and it's going to be hard. But we have a God that we can turn to, and when we do, when we spend that time praying with Him, It prepares us for the difficult battles that we are going to face in life. My daughter is a competitive dancer. She's she's only eight, but it's something that she's been doing since since she was four, and she's she's pretty good at it, and she enjoys it. And the day she doesn't enjoy it, it's going to be like a pay raise, and we're going to throw a party, and it's going to be a lot of fun. But right now, she she still enjoys it. And they had their first competition of the weekend or the year this weekend, and we drove down. Uh, to Mobile, and we got to hang out with some people uh, that we know there, some friends that, that we left behind. And so it was fun to be there, and it was fun to watch her and, and watch her get ready, and it's fun to see her in her costume and with fake eyelashes and all that kind of weird stuff that, that ladies do to their eyes. And it was just fun to see her get made up and ready to go. But right before she was to go on stage, my wife had her backstage, and there were a couple dances before her, and my daughter goes, My legs don't work. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but it's a little nerve-wracking standing on a platform in front of people. Even as much as I've had the honor of doing it, there's still a little bit of butterflies before you walk out and you think, I'm about to fall flat on my face, and instead of making an impact, everybody's going to laugh at me. Like, that is exactly what's going to happen. And that little bit of kid never disappears. She's right in the middle of it right now, and she's thinking, I don't want to go out there because it might not go the way that it's supposed to. And so the natural thing you say is, my legs quit working, right? Because she's still standing up. I don't know what she thought, but she looked at my wife's like, my legs aren't working. And my wife's going, you got to go on stage. And 
I'm thinking as a father, like, we paid a lot of money for this. I will tote you out there and do the dance for you, but you are going out there, right? This is going to happen. My wife is obviously a better godly example than I am. She looked at my daughter and said, hey, well, why don't we just pray about it? And so they prayed, and it was quick, you know, 20, 30 seconds prayer, and, and my wife said, amen, and my daughter looked up and said, let's go. Right, let's go. My daughter learned a lot this weekend. She learned a little bit about uh, how to react when things don't go the way you want them to. She learned how to react when they do, and, and you actually are part of a winning team. She learned that stuff. The most important thing she learned, though, was there a guy, there's a guy who loves her enough that when things aren't going the way that you want them to go, that you can turn to him and you can pray to him. She learned that in the difficult times in life that you can turn to God and you can spend time praying to him. Look, I want you guys to know this, that the greatest gift that you could possibly give your children is a godly legacy, and it will begin when you actually start spending time in prayer with God. There is no greater blessing that you can give your sons or your daughters, your nieces, your nephews, anybody that comes behind you than to allow them to catch you praying. Listen, don't. Don't come to the end of your life and your kids wonder, man, I wonder if they ever really spent time with God. It prepares you for the difficult battles. Listen, it also ensures that you're fighting the right battles. It ensures that you're fighting the right battles. There's no shortage of battles to be fought. If you guys have a social media account, you know, you can log on there at any point during the day and enter into an argument any time that you want to, right? Would you agree? Raise your hand. You can argue on social media any time that you want to. You could pick it out right now and go, Daniel's kind of boring today, and so let me get into a heated debate about anything. You can argue sports, you can argue religion, you can argue politics. There is always somebody there waiting for you to argue with them. But listen, you shouldn't fight every battle that you could fight. There's only certain battles that God wants you to be a part of, and it's foolish. And by the way, you never win an argument on social media because if you feel like you're winning, they just leave. And so it's a waste of time for everybody. It's a waste of time. And so you're fighting battles that doesn't matter. We want to make sure that we're fighting the battles that God has gifted and prepared us to fight. Look, there is something very unique about who you are, and there's something very unique about the vision that God has for your life. But if you spend your time wasting them on things that don't matter or fighting battles that he doesn't want you to fight, you don't have the time or energy to actually accomplish the things that he has placed in front of you. Jesus set this example. He was about to endure the hardest thing that mankind had ever endured. He was about to face the punishment for your sin and for mine. And and he, he could do anything he wanted to do. And he snuck away to a garden and he began to spend time in prayer. And he went with his disciples and he said, Hey, I want you guys to stay right here. I don't even want the distraction of other people right now. And he said, But if you would, pray with me. And he went about a stone's throw away and he knelt down and he began to pray. Listen, and he prayed so hard, Scripture tells us, that he began to, to sweat drops of blood. And he came to the Father and he said, Lord, if it's possible for this cup to be taken from me, then take it. But if not, I want your will to be done. I want your will to be done. Listen, he's setting the example for two things. When life gets really difficult, the first stop, not the last, should be prayer. And second, and second, when you're walking through life, you want to ensure that you're accomplishing the things that God has for you to accomplish. Prayer will prepare you to fight the battles. It will give you the strength that you need. It also will ensure that you are fighting the right battles in the first place. So we live a life of prayer. Second, we live a life of faith. We live a life of faith. The writer of Hebrews said this. He said, It is impossible... 
to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. He didn't say it's hard. He didn't say it's difficult. He didn't say that it was anything but impossible. He said it's impossible to live a life that pleases God without faith. Hey, if you would, jot this down concerning this. Here's what faith is. Faith demonstrates that I trust who I cannot see more than the circumstances that I can see. It's me telling the world that I trust the God that I necessarily cannot see more than the circumstances that I can see, and it allows me in the midst of those difficult circumstances to still live a life of peace. And so when things are not going right, and when life is difficult, and the kids aren't doing what they're supposed to do, and things aren't working out at your job the way that they're supposed to work out, and the bank account isn't where you desire for it to be, you can still be at peace because you know that you serve a God who can do anything. You know that He is all-powerful, and there is absolutely nothing that He cannot accomplish. And so when the world is chaotic around you, you're still standing there like a statue. You're at peace. Because you know that your focus is not on your circumstances, but it's on your God. And when you have the proper focus, it changes everything in your life. And so it's impossible, absolutely impossible, to please God without faith in our life. Listen, but our faith will always have a companion. Faith will always show itself by our actions. And so we don't just live a life of faith. We live a life of action. We live a life of action. James put it this way. He said, you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and it's useless. So it means absolutely nothing to say that I have faith in God, but not to put that in practice anywhere. My faith will always require me to do something. It will require me to have actions. And look, jot this down. You will increase your faith by spending time with God and doing the things that require faith. About four years ago, I I sat in my first ever creative meeting. And the point was to think through what we were doing as a church and and creatively how we could best engage people with that message. And I remember walking into the meeting and looking at the guy who was leading it and going, hey man, I don't know why you invited me to be in here. My creativity is about here. I can draw stick people, right? I can draw a stick person. I can draw a house with the triangle on top and then draw a couple windows and doors. And I can make the S that you learn to make in like third grade then you write smile beside it. That, that is it. That's about as creative as I can be. I can't decorate a house. I can't decorate an office. I struggle to put on clothes that match, right? I am not, I'm not creative in any way, shape, or form. And he looked at me and he said, well, you know how you become creative. And I said, man, it's a gift. It's just something that is given to you. Some people are just creative, right? You know, some people are just creative. They can look at a room and they can imagine everything that was going, going to go on in there, what this color will look like on this wall and on that wall, and it's just a gift. He goes, well, I guess maybe some of it is a gift. He said, but you become creative by being creative. He said, when you leave this meeting, you'll be more creative than you were before you showed up. And I found that to be true. And, and I'm a little more creative than I used to be. You would never look at me and still go, Daniel's creative, but hey, I'm more creative than I was before I stepped in that meeting four years ago, and I found it to be true in other areas of my life, too. You know how you increase your faith? By doing things that require faith. You will increase your faith by doing the things that require you to practice faith. Look, there are some simple things that the Bible tells us about faith that we ought to be doing. There are small things, like it says, do not neglect the meeting of yourselves together. So by faith, we show up here 
every Sunday expecting God to do something in our midst. It's faith that we should, we practice faith when we walk through the door. Listen, I don't care what that article you just read says about you worshiping God in the woods while you're trying to kill a deer. The Bible says that, that you should not neglect the meeting of yourselves together. So you show up by faith. You show up to church. That's something that you do. It also tells us that we should tithe 10% of our income. That, that's an act of faith. Look, I don't know about you, but every time the tithe comes out of my check, there's a little bit of me that goes, that could have went somewhere else, right? I, I could have paid off another bill, or I could have done something else with that, or that could have went to the dance company, right? It could have gone somewhere else. That money could have been used somewhere else. But, but because I trust God and I have faith in Him, I choose to practice faith by doing the things that He has called me to do. This is an act of faith for you to invite somebody to come to church with you. It's a little bit bigger at the fate for you to actually share what God has done in your life. And it's a little bit bigger at for you to actually share the gospel with them. It's a, it's a huge at the fate for you to invite them to become part of God's family. Do you see that ever increasing amount? But if we don't start with the small things, listen, the big things will never happen. You will increase the faith in your life as you put it into action. You put the faith in your life into action, and as you do the things that are seemingly small, God will prepare you to do the things that are seemingly bigger. Some of you guys have dreams and visions that God has placed in your life, and you've put them on hold for a long time. And your response to what God is saying today is real simple. It's time for you to put into action the thing that He has been calling you to do. Look, don't keep those dreams and the passions to yourself anymore. It's time for you to introduce to the world the person that God has created you to be and to carry out the dreams that God has placed inside of you. This year, as we've gone through this series, it's, it's been fun to talk with, with some of you guys. And every week that the series has happened, there's been someone come to a pastor on staff and say, Hey, today God reaffirmed that he had been calling me to do, and you can fill in the blank. And for some people, it's a vocation. For some people, it's reaching out to a family member. For some people, it's being baptized. It's different in every situation. But look, they're saying, I want you to know that God is reaffirming that this is exactly what he is calling me to do. Listen, and in some cases, it has been God has been telling me for years that this is what he wants me to do, and I'm finally ready to put it into action. Look, they're not alone. There are a lot of us right now. There are a lot of people in seats, and there is someone standing on this platform right here that you know things God has been calling you to do. And it's time to practice enough faith to actually put it into action, to actually go and do it, to, to do what you were created to do, to use the gifts that God has placed inside of you to accomplish the vision that He has for your life. And who knows what He will accomplish through you. There was a guy named Edward Kimball who who was willing to put his faith into to action. So he believed in God, he trusted Him, he loved Him. And the thing that he did was he taught a young adult Sunday school class where he taught boys between the age of 16 to their early 20s. And he took a special interest in each of them and he spent time with each of these, these boys investing in their life. And one day he showed up at a guy named Dwight's workplace and Dwight worked at a shoe company stocking shelves and Edward Kimball walked back to where he was stocking shelves and he striked up a conversation with Dwight and he began to talk to him more in depth about the gospel. 
And he began to share with him about who Jesus was and the fact that, that God had created him and that he had a plan and a purpose for his life. And that day, Dwight surrendered his life to Jesus. And several years later, uh, Dwight became known as D.L. Moody. And he had an impact on America and he had an impact uh, over in England as he shared the gospel on two continents. And there literally were thousands of people who came to faith in Jesus. Listen, because a Sunday school teacher was willing to go and to put into action what God had called him to do. But it didn't end there. The White Moody ended up holding a crusade, and in that crusade, he, he, he led a guy named Wilbur Chapman to Jesus. And Wilbur Chapman went around sharing the gospel, and he's kind of a buttoned-up guy, but he drew large crowds, and he shared the gospel everywhere that he went. And, and one Sunday, there was a baseball player that had a Sunday off, and he showed up at one of Wilbur Chapman's meetings and heard the message of the gospel, and that day he quit professional baseball and started traveling with Wilbur Chapman to share the gospel. And it was a guy by the name of Billy Sunday. He's a flamboyant guy, and eventually Wilbur Chapman became pastor of a large church, and Sunday kind of took over the evangelistic ministry and started his own, and he would do interesting things to, to draw attention. He didn't walk up to a podium or a table like Pastor Mike or myself do. When he entered stage, he would come running from one side and he would slide into the podium like he would slide into second base and he would pop up behind it and that's how he would he would begin his message and so we're starting a new series next week and that that is actually the way Pastor Mike is going to come in and so you guys you want to be sure that you're here it's going to be entertaining if it's nothing else and so he would do these kind of things Billy Sunday would do it but listen he was effective at sharing the gospel and so as he shared the gospel, people began to accept Christ. And he was sharing the gospel one day, and a guy named Mordecai Ham accepted Jesus. And later on, Mordecai Ham began his own evangelistic ministry. And he was an interesting guy, too. He was kind of flamboyant. And uh, he would, at times, hire a hearse and put the message about his meetings on the side of it, along with the message that you're going to die. And they would ride it through town and people would show up at the meetings just to see what the weird guy with the hearse was doing, right? So they would show up, they would get there and he would share the gospel and, and people would get saved and he was in North Carolina holding a meeting and he was sharing the gospel and he called out some high school boys. He told them, he said, gentlemen, I know that there's a house of ill refute, as he said it, across from the high school and I also know that you're skipping your lunch and you're going over there and doing things you shouldn't be doing. So he made a bunch of teenagers mad. And the teenage boys went to school and they said, we're going to go back and we're going to show this guy who is boss. And so a guy named Billy heard all the commotion and he said, I'm going to go check out the fight. <laughs> right? I just want to go see what's going to happen. And he got there that night and nothing happened except for God moving. And so he began to share the gospel and God began to move throughout the tent. And he began to move through out the room in the hearts of people. And a lot of those, those boys that came up there to show the evangelist who was boss ended up giving their life to Jesus and it struck the curiosity of Billy, and he went home and he thought about it. And next night he came back again. And that night he prayed to give his life to Jesus. And you know who he is. There's a guy named, named Billy Graham. He passed away recently, and until his passing it was said of him that he had shared the gospel with more people than anyone who had ever stepped foot on the earth. That he was it. He shared the gospel more than anyone else who had ever been born. He was it, man. He was the catalyst for evangelism. Listen, not just in America, but all over the world. There are thousands upon thousands of people that can say they came into a relationship with Jesus because of Billy Graham. But listen, there are thousands and thousands of people who came into a relationship because Billy Graham shared the gospel that would have never heard it had a Sunday school teacher not went to a shoe store and put his faith into action.
That's it. It started there. I don't know what will happen when you actually put into action what God has called you to do and you begin becoming the person that He's called you to be. But I do know this. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a vision for your life. So what are you doing right now? That will leave a legacy of faith for those who come behind you. We live a life of action. We also live a life of love. We live a life of love. In Corinthians, Paul said this. He said, these three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. But there's nothing greater. I mean, if you know the Bible backwards and forwards, but you don't love people, you're accomplishing nothing. If you can communicate like no one else, but you don't love people, listen, you're missing the mark. You're not accomplishing what God has called you to do. If you can bring organization out of any chaotic situation, but you don't love people, then you're not fully accomplishing what God has called you to do. He has called us to love Him, and He's called us to love other people. And He says this, He says, Love is the one thing that will last forever. And so jot this down, My love for others will always show itself in my actions toward them. We're about to dig into this next week as we start the series, Love Does. But love is an action. Look, it's not a feeling. It's not something that you feel in the pit of your stomach. It's not your heart skipping beats. Look, that is a problem. You need to go to the doctor. Love is something that you choose to do. It is a tangible action that you choose to show someone else that I care about you and I'm showing you that I love you by how I treat you and the things that I do. Love is an action. It will always show itself, listen, not by how you feel, but how you act. But by how you act. And it is the one thing. The one thing alone that Jesus said will mark us as his followers. Love is the only quality that Jesus says will identify you as a follower of his. In John thirteen thirty five, he said this. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Listen, not your preaching, not your singing, not your buildings, not even your mission. He said your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples disciples. Listen, one day, life will end. And the truth is that for most of us in this room, it will end slowly. We live in a time and with medical technology and breakthroughs that that on occasion life ends quickly, but for the majority of us, it will end slowly. And I've watched as family members and people that I love and care about and church members, I've watched as, as people in their life, As they know that life is coming to an end. I've watched them sit in chairs and I've watched them lay in beds and I've watched them sit in hospital rooms. And I've listened to the things that they talk about. And every one of them talks about the life that they've lived. And every one of them talks about the decisions that they've made. And each one of them talks about the things that they wish that they could have been different. And they sit there and they think about it. Here's my hope and my dream for you. Is that when that time comes for you and when that time comes for me and people are talking about us and they're saying, listen, I want to tell you guys about Daniel. There's some things I hope they say. I hope they say, man, Daniel was, he's a funny guy. He'd take a difficult situation and he'd make you laugh. He was funny. He was easygoing, a lot like his granddad. He was easygoing, but man, he was driven. He worked hard. He cared about the things that God had called him to do. I hope beyond all hope that they say he was a man that loved his wife and he loved his daughter more than he loved ever being successful. I hope so. But the greatest gift and the greatest legacy 
that you and I can ever leave is for someone to say, that was a godly person. They were godly. Not did they, not, not, not did we just loved our family. Not that we just helped people out. But I hope, I hope beyond all hope that when someone looks at me and talks about me and my life is complete, that they will say, Daniel was someone who loved his God and he served him. It is the greatest gift that you and I can ever leave. This is the greatest gift we can leave as a church that people say this is a godly place. I mean, those people love God. They love God and they serve him. Look, you can leave a godly legacy. It begins by spending time in prayer. Look, it begins by living a life of faith. You've got to put that faith into action and you've got to cover it all. With love. Look, there's a few next steps for us this morning. If you would, jot them down. The first one is this. is to make a commitment to discover God's vision for your life. Look, if you don't know what you've been gifted to do, then every time we do Grow Track, we have step three. And the purpose of that class is to help you discover the gifts that God has placed inside of you and to put them into practice. If you've never attended that, then make a commitment to go to step three to discover how God has put you together, how He has formed you, how, how He has gifted you to carry out the vision He has for your life. The second is this, to commit to praying daily for the next 30 days. If you find yourself not spending regular time in prayer, then the most powerful thing that you can do this week is to set aside regular time to pray to the God who created you. It will prepare you for difficult things. It will prepare you to fight the right battles. It will give you strength that you didn't know that you had, but you need to spend time in prayer. Look, if you're a morning person, get up 10 minutes early. If you get out of bed and make it to work within 10 minutes, then take 10 minutes at lunch. If you're a night owl, then stay up 10 minutes later than you normally do. But whatever you do, find some time to carve out and to spend with the God who created you this week. And then I want to encourage you to do this. Do one thing today that demonstrates faith and love. So when you leave here, this afternoon, that could be to a waiter or to a waitress. It could be to an auto mechanic. It could be to your wife or, or to your husband or to your kids. But find a way to do one thing today that demonstrates the faith that you have in God and the love that you have for others. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for who you are. God, I think for the blessings that you, you give to us. God, I think for the gift of of life, I think for the love that you have for each and every person in this room. And Lord, your word is clear that you, you knit them together in the womb. God, that who they are is not an accident. God, that the situations they've been through in life, that you plan to use every single one of those to shape them into who you created them to be. God, you told Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you. They're plans to prosper, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And God, I thank you that you're a God that not only loves Jeremiah and had a plan for his life, but, Lord, you have a plan for each and every life in this room. So, God, would you give us the courage and enough faith to put into action what you've called us to do and who you've called us to be. If you would, just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed just a second. I want you to know this, that everything that I just said is pointless if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. It, it begins there. The first step is always getting right with God through the person of Jesus. Scripture tells us this. It says that we've all sinned. 
We fall short of the glory of God. In other words, we didn't meet the standard that God had set for mankind. All of us. And it tells us that the wages of that sin is death. In other words, the punishment that we deserve for missing that mark is death and eternal separation away from the God who loves us and created us. But listen, it says the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus paid the price that you and I owed. And now He offers you the gift of eternal life freely. If that's the decision that you want to make today, because I want to give you a chance to do it, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and you don't have to say this out loud. You don't have to say it word for word. This is a moment between you and the God who made you. Say, Lord, today I realize that I'm a sinner. Lord, today I realize that I need you. Would you forgive me of my sins? Today I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. Lord, I thank for anyone who just prayed that. God, would you give them the courage to share it with someone today? And Lord, give them the faith to live it out. Hey, if you just said that prayer, I want you to do something for me. If you would, would you mark that on that connection card that's in the seat back in front of you? And then I want you to take it to the VIP room in the back of the worship center. We have some folks that want to pray with you. They just want to celebrate. They want to put some things in your hand for free that will help you as you begin your journey and your walk with Jesus. Hey, maybe you're in here and you began that, that walk a long time ago. Maybe you've already began it. Maybe it was even a short while ago. And you would simply say, I want to put my faith into action. I want to start living out the things that I know God has created me to do. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. Would you just lift your hand real quick so I can pray with you? I see your hands there all over the room. Lord, we thank you, we love you, and praise you for who you are, God. As we walk out of this building, would you give us the faith to be your hands and feet? God, may we never say that we believe in you and not live for you. God, use us to have an impact and to make a difference. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey guys, it's been a, a unique week here uh, in America and abortion has made its way into the forefront yet again. And so we want you to know where we stand as a church on the issue. We support life. Right? That, that is our decision. That's what we do. We believe that it is biblical. We've quoted verses today that point to the fact that each and every person is knit together in the womb by God, that they are created by Him, that He loves them, He cares for them, He has a plan and a purpose for their life. And so we stand uh, with those who stand with life. Listen, but this is not a political issue for us. This is not a Republican versus a Democrat. To us, this is a hard issue. And the only way things will ever change won't be if a certain law is passed, but it will be if God begins to change hearts. And so I would encourage you to take the same steps that we just walked through. There are four things that you can do if you believe in life. And the first one is this. You can pray because God can open doors and change hearts and you can't do it. You can't change your heart. Only God can do that. You can have faith that God is actually going to move and that He's going to do something. You can put that faith into action. One of the ministries that we get the support because of your faithfulness year in and year out is the River Region Pregnancy Center. And each day they have feet on the ground and they're helping people walk through difficult decisions and they're sharing options with people that find themselves in a place in life that they didn't think they would be. And then we share love. Listen to us, the person who has had an abortion is not our enemy. Even the person performing the abortion is not our enemy. The politicians are not our enemy. Scripture is clear that our battle is not against one individual, but our battle is against principalities and the powers of darkness. And so we love people regardless of what decision they've made or what belief 
that they have, but we will always stand on the side of life. I'm going to ask Pastor Nate to join us. Nate is our family pastor, and uh, we're going to pray, and then he won't share a few things with you. But I would say this, is that one of the greatest impacts that you can have for any cause is by investing in the lives of children. And so if you truly want to make a difference, if you want to change the generations behind us and leave a legacy worth following, then I would encourage you to consider investing in the lives of kids. And you can do that every day, every week, right here at Journey Church. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for who you are. God, I think for the families that we get to partner with week in and week out. God, I think for the way that you're moving in our kids' ministry. God, I thank you for the hearts that you're changing, for the new life that we just saw through baptism. And Lord, we ask you to do what only you can do. Lord, we believe that you create life with a purpose and a meaning and that it's precious. Lord, we love you. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.